we can handle that, that's uh, pushing a button. Our speaker this evening, uh, Dr. Austin Martin, will share his uh, personal journey uh, around experiencing the stigma of uh, mental illness, as well as personally being bullied in school and uh, suffering the effects of the early symptoms of schizophrenia himself. Now, he has spoken to SACPAW before and uh, is a very distinguished uh, uh, individual. Uh, being born and raised, uh, being born in Edmonton but raised here in Lethbridge, he finished his first degree at the University of Lethbridge. And it was while as an undergraduate student in geography uh, that he accepted his uh, field assignment uh, with the uh, National Science Foundation and NASA of the United States to uh, explore for the Antarctic Meteorite Recovery Expedition. And that's when he had his first major uh, descent into mental illness. Um, and uh, when he returned from Antarctica, suffering from post-traumatic stress. But despite his uh, illness, he has been able to complete two additional graduate degrees and gone on to finish a PhD. Uh, and this, of course, uh, is a tribute to his uh, perseverance and his uh, resilience as an individual. Uh, he's on numerous boards, as I've mentioned a couple already, and he currently serves on the Premier's Council on the Status of Persons with Disabilities and the Alberta College of Social, Work, Social Workers. Uh, he has received the Order of Canada. Uh, he has received many other awards, and this year he received an honorary doctorate from the University of Alberta and the Medal of Honor, the highest award for a non-physician from the Canadian Medical Association. Uh, he has collaborated with his uh, father, uh, uh, Dr. Ernest Martin, uh, on writing several books on Alberta's history. And he lives now in Edmonton with his wife, Catherine, and his basset hound, Gandhi. Welcome, Austin. So it's nice to be here today, you know, uh, come out of this, uh, um, I brought the weather, I guess I brought the Edmontonian weather with me this morning, so um, the, the main thing that struck me that I didn't know um, until uh, the mental, I didn't realize the extent of mental health impact on the economy. It's uh, approximately at least $50 billion a year of cost towards uh, Canada each year for, for mental illness and affects one in five people. And, uh, okay, there you go. I am not only a schizophrenic, I am the son of a schizophrenic and also the great-grandson of a schizophrenic. My great-grandmother was in one of those asylums they made horror movies about. I almost feel as if I've been fighting the stigma of schizophrenia since I was old enough to remember. My mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia when I was five years old. I was subjected to scorn and alienation in our small college town from, from grade one onwards, Lethbridge. There was also the constant fear of being placed in foster care or of my parents divorcing of my father dying from his heart condition that developed uh, quite soon after my mother had her first breakdown. 
and leaving me alone to take care of my mother. At one point, uh, when I was 12, my dad said that he might die shortly and uh, that I had to take care of my mother for the rest of my life. wasn't something that inspires uh, most 12-year-olds, but uh, that was uh, one of the things that uh, was uh, necessary. The stigma I've lived with my whole life made me believe when I was first hospitalized in 1992 uh, that my life was over. It, it, it wasn't. It just changed. I went from what was a very promising academic career to one of advocacy and service uh, to uh, uh, modern lepers uh, in our society, people with uh, serious mental illness. I, of course, knew what the word meant. Many people don't. We were that family with the sick mother. As it turns out, perhaps that was actually a blessing for my life. I'm convinced I've never gone off my medication in part because I saw what it did to my mother. I'm sure it also helped that I was older when I had my first really severe psychotic break. My father says I was having psychotic breaks since the 80s, but it wasn't until I just was so massive that it just disrupted my life completely. I had an extra decade's worth of education and life experience to draw upon to aid in my recovery. Most males, when they get schizophrenia, get it in their teenage years. Women get it later because of, uh, they believe, the protection, the hormonal protection of the period. Relationships are just as important to us. And this illness actually makes them harder to start or sustain. I've never been able to read body language or understand something, someone hinting something to me in those nuances and stuff. And that's an example of a schizotypal type of personality. That can make the playground a minefield, as I found. Add on top of it the positive and negative symptoms of the illness, and meeting people, making friends can be so difficult. However, we have to try and keep trying. I've said many times that if a major soap opera or sitcom on TV had a character with schizophrenia, perhaps people would be less afraid of us. Uh, I assume everybody knows where the sitcom Seinfeld. Well, the actual real Kramer, there was an actual real Kramer named Kramer, actually was diagnosed with uh, bipolar, and the character was based on somebody with bipolar, but they never mentioned that during the uh, series. But he was actually a positive role model for the mentally ill. That, that never came out. Um, in my recovery, the biggest helps and hindrances have been relationships. I believe that I could have been sick for some time, years even, before the diagnosis in 1992. But breaking up with my girlfriend was the final stressor, including massive student debt. I, I tell uh, when I uh, got my honorary doctorate, I devoted about three minutes to uh, telling the students how they really should try to pay off their student loans as quickly as possible, if, if it is possible, and uh, because it can be an incredible burden, that, uh, that debt. My father helped me, when I was first diagnosed, understand the need to take medication. I never had good social skills, probably due to the prodromal symptoms. I suppose the friends that I made in the schizophrenia community were the first real friends I've had in my life. 
Unfortunately, that can be good or bad. Support groups for those with mental illnesses like, are like AA groups, Alcoholics Anonymous groups. Some are healthy groups filled with people invested in their recovery, and some groups aren't as healthy. Getting into a circle of friends that aren't really interested in recovery can hamper your own. My first wife had a serious mental illness that extended back to her childhood. We could have been a support to each other and worked for a healthier future, but as they say, though, it takes two to tangle. She ended up completely lost and chose homelessness in Hong Kong over our relationship, and it, it saddens me to this day. It would have been better for her to run off with somebody than uh, the life she's lived. The loss of our relationship harmed my recovery in a thousand ways. Therapy could have been a real aid to them, but as I found out repeatedly, therapists don't like dealing with us. Um, they're starting to realize the importance of talk therapy for uh, serious mental illnesses such as bipolar and schizophrenia, such as cognitive behavioral therapy. It's been used extensively in, with depression, and now it's starting. It's, it exists much more in England and overseas than it does in North America because of the uh, uh, phys physical models of mental illness and uh, they don't like neo-Freudian stuff but um, it is uh, it is something that can be helpful cognitive behavioral therapy they think as long as you're on the medication there's nothing more they can do for you it's as if once you come down with schizophrenia all other issues in your life no longer matter or affect us. We are like everybody else. Aren't we also entitled to have family of origin issues or trust issues? And actually, due to my mother's illness when I was a child, uh, we were forced to, by children's services, I forget what they were called at the time, uh, see a, a child psychiatrist. And I saw Dr. David Davis. I don't know if you remember him. He was for a long time in the community. you remember him? And um, so he, he actually now lives on the coast. And uh, he uh, um, did a lot, extensive talk therapy. And he actually said, um, when I turned 18 and started university and, and started my adult life, that I would not develop schizophrenia. And yet within six years a psychiatrist said to me that I had schizophrenia. He didn't diagnose me, he just said I had schizophrenia. And a year after that I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. But I think part of the protection that that talk therapy gave me, as well as my background with my family, my unique family, allowed me to have a perception of the illness that doesn't exist. Everybody's so concerned about escaping, and they never accept it, and the families never accept it. And there's so much shame and pain. Whereas for me, you know, that was burnt out of me in the schoolyards decades ago at uh, CCH, and then I continued to go to school here, and so the same kids that... I saw in the school, I saw at university, so that didn't help. It didn't start to disappear until uh, the stigma until I left Lethbridge. And I suspect if I had stayed in Lethbridge, it would have continued, even if I hadn't developed schizophrenia, because uh, people have a long memory, sadly enough. There are positive elements to being in a small community, but uh, 
there are negatives. I mean, my mother still uh, has uh, issues. She just thinks people know about stuff from decades ago, and I don't think most people really care. I mean, it, most people don't care, but uh, the fear and the loathing and the... Uh, I remember when I was in Antarctica, and uh, my, I started losing feeling in my legs from the frostbite blisters. Uh, in our tent, you know, when I was lying in our tent, I used to have nightmares of going back to high school in Lethbridge and the taunts of the other children. And, you know, that's pretty horrific because that was equivalent to combat, but I was more afraid of coming back here and facing what I had faced a few years before than I was dying. I mean, I should have died several times in Antarctica. I came back a physical uh, physical cripple um, and have nerve damage to this day and fall down all the time and stuff. Uh, um, I lost, uh, for a while, I lost feeling below my ankles. Most of the feeling, a lot of it came back and I compensated for it. But um, the bullying, you know, I don't think all bullying, one thing that concerns me about the bullying themes that I see on TV and much music. I have a bad habit because I don't work of watching too much TV. I turn it on as I am on the phone or on the computer or putting around in the kitchen or doing whatever. And all bullying is not related to homosexuality. Yet it seems to be, I get that continual message from, maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but I think bullying is terrible. It, damages people for the rest of their lives. I still bear the scars. I think that the scars I bore as a child, um, and there was no defense. I don't know what it's like today in schools. I can imagine it's worse because of Facebook and, and the Internet. I read about uh, what children do to each other and uh, the lack of protection and, and comfort and... Um, you know, uh, but um, it's hard to think back 40 years to think that the schizophrenia was easier, Antarctica was easier, being tortured by the Russians was easier than going to school in this community and being bullied. I mean, like, I've, I've done a lot in the last 20 years since I left Lethbridge. And, um, um, you know, why... Uh, um, and I, I had seriously considered, I actually got a master's degree in education and had seriously thought about becoming a school teacher, but I thought what would happen is the first time I would uh, go into a classroom and see a kid bullying, being bullied, I'd probably... Uh, overreact and discipline the bully and get fired immediately. So I thought, why, why go through that process? And so I didn't, uh, I decided against, uh, against going uh, uh, into that uh, vocation. But um, there were joys. I, I mean, like I, I intellectually, I, I remember this room, uh, the used book sales in this room. I uh, lived just down across from London Road. 
I used to come uh, to the library to listen to music until 9 o'clock, um, almost every weeknight when they were open late, and on weekends, and I, I've read every single Edgar like, Rice Burroughs book that the collection had. They had all 50 of them, and I read them all, and I read Miller and other people. I, I even read scientific books that I later quoted uh, when I was sitting in a, in, the, in a tent in the Antarctic that I'd read in this library. So negative, the negative, the bullying that I experienced forced me into uh, reading beyond my age, which benefited me intellectually. I think the most important thing to take away from this is that as a society, we need to learn to attack mental illnesses in the same way we attack other major physical illnesses, such as cancer. Imagine being across the desk, a desk from a doctor being told your child has cancer. If the doctor then said that he would like to treat your child with the oldest, cheapest medicine first, and if in six months to a year, they aren't getting better, then they'd like to try something a bit newer. But not the newest, just something a bit newer. Or how about being told that we think your child has cancer, but not sure which kind, so we'll try a bunch of different kind of chemo and radiation treatments, and whichever one works will tell us what kind of cancer it is. Pretty silly, right? Yet that happens every day in North America. Parents trying to get help for their mentally ill children go through horrific processes. When a child in a family has a mental illness, it affects the whole family, not just, not just the, the people think. I think that one thing, when I meet the Minister of Health next, I'm going to advocate that they try to do counseling, not just information sessions at local community groups, but actual physical counseling for families and the individual, like what they do at the Betty Ford Center for Addicts. <clears throat> when a child in a family has a mental illness, it affects the whole family. Often by the time medical intervention begins to help, the entire family may need counseling. In the area of addiction counseling, we do a good job involving all the family and friends of the person in the healing process not so for the mentally ill. I often wonder if my mother had got different treatment when I was a child, how different my childhood would have been. Maybe I wouldn't have developed schizophrenia. I mean, I have a genetic predisposition, but we're prolific Catholics, and I have many cousins. And aside from... I had one cousin um, in Edmonton that killed himself, and... Uh, after many years of schizophrenia, and then another cousin that developed an addiction and bipolar and is still alive and surviving and sober, but he has problems. But um, So there is that genetic risk, but why did I get it rather than my sisters or my cousins? Why did I get it with very little drug use? Well, my cousins, some of who are lawyers, had extensive drug use, and they didn't develop any mental illnesses aside from going to AA. I don't, that's not a mental illness, going to AA. Um, her doctors didn't have access to the medication that we have now today. There wasn't cognitive behavioral therapy. 
There wasn't family therapy. Perhaps my sisters wouldn't have both have left home at the age of 13 if we had been given better community supports. Neither of them have a serious mental illness, but leaving home so early had to affect their relationship skills and the rest of their lives. I mean, I didn't, I, my dad forced me or kept asking me to stay, so I stayed much longer than my sis, younger sisters. But, you know, leaving home at 13 in this society says something and supporting yourself. Mental health costs our economies uh, and society $50 billion a year in lost productivity and medical expenses. There is no way to put into financial terms how it can devastate people's lives. I think the greatest weapon we have to fight the devastation is hope. When a parent is sitting across from a doctor being told for the first time their child has schizophrenia, and it usually happens in the teenage years for males, and it's happened to many of my friends' parents, and many of them when they were sick. All hopes that they had for their child's future seem to be gone. College, career, marriage, and grandchildren. Actually, when I, when I got the Order of Canada, I was talking with the Director of Honours, and I said, well, the Order of Canada is great and stuff, you know, but the fact I'm a male person with schizophrenia for 20 years and married, now married a second time, is, is a miracle. That's only maybe 10% of the people that have schizophrenia males uh, are married at any one point are gone. College, career, marriage, and grandchildren. It's at that moment they need to understand that there is hope for the future. Perhaps the normal life that they thought was going to happen won't. The idea of a 9-to-5 job, a big house in the suburbs, may have to be replaced with the goal of stability and healthy, happy life instead. And I, I think sometimes, you know, when people start to improve the children and when they first get sick, you see some glimmers and then you push too much on them. And the fact that today, unlike when my great-grandmother was alive, uh, there are medicines that can allow people to function somewhat better. It's not a cure like the drug companies say and some of the doctors say. But um, it is, uh, it can be a happy life, maybe not a normal life, uh, maybe a life of too many coffees and uh, too much inactivity, but it, it's a much better life than living in an asylum like our ancestors did. Whenever I talk about families and mental illness, how it can damage us, I tell a story about something that happened in Edmonton several years ago. A young man with a history of violence and drug use pounded on his brother's house late one night. The man had his younger brother arrested and the next morning went out of town for the day. While he was gone, his younger brother was released from jail. He got into a taxi to his old brother's house. When arriving, he beat the taxi driver to unconsciousness, broke into his brother's house, and, and actually killed his sister-in-law. When the police responded to the taxi driver's attack, the troubled young man walked up to the police car and got into the back seat. The family was very vocal about the need for changes to the justice system so that victims would be informed when their attackers were released from jail. They lobbied for extra community treatment beds for drug addicts. He was an addict. Uh, 
and harsher treatment for drug dealers, but buried deep in the report and on the last page of the Edmonton Journal was the reference that the young man had schizophrenia. They have never said he had schizophrenia. They and had used street yard drugs for years to self-medicate. No one in his immediate family ever mentioned that this young man had a mental illness, and I've been asked questions in public forums by the brother, um, and I asked me questions, and what can you say to somebody that comes up with asking a question about that? There's nothing that can be said. Um, it's such a tragedy. When he came to trial, the attorney never admitted any evidence in court about his illness. In fact, he put on no defense at all and called zero witnesses. He went off quietly to jail for the rest of his life rather than say he had schizophrenia. His older brother ran for public office on a platform of getting tough on criminals. It was easier on his family to believe that their brother's son-nephew was a violent drug addict than to publicly admit, and, and the person to admit, that he was ill and needed treatment. It was easier on this young man to accept punishment for a crime he committed during a psychotic episode than to admit he had an illness. If one of my sisters had committed a similar act, I think I would have been comforted by the idea that she wasn't actually responsible for her actions because of her illness. I would be campaigning for more psychiatric beds, more research, wider availability of new medications, and even for the application of community treatment orders. This is the face of stigma when it's easier to admit your sibling is a crazed killer than to admit they have this illness. This is how a serious illness can warp a family. It can tear a family apart. When it Schizophrenia rarely affects children, but can, and it, it's even worse when it's children, because they they have even less skills than an adult to deal with uh, when you're six years old seeing goblins or the walls melting or voices telling you to slash yourself or or just voices all the time and you don't respond well, then you get picked on and your family isolates you. I had. One family who uh, their son got sick uh, in, in very early childhood, and they kept him home from school. And they, the government tried to get them arrested for not educating their child, and they said, well, we take him to school, and he just runs away. Or he goes to school and gets locked up in, a, in, a, in the principal's office. It can devastate children suffering from it and devastate children just exposed to it. I'm sure my sisters were uh, devastated by being exposed to it. Childhood should be shared, filled, and share warm and fuzzy mums, lots of playing and exploration, and mostly filled with safety and security. We have to fight for a time when mental illness won't steal anyone's childhood again. And um, that's the end of my prepared speech. But the thing is that um, because we haven't come to terms, we haven't come to terms with a lot of things related to mental illness in terms of stigma. And, um, you know, I was at a disabled conference when um, this person in a wheelchair said, this happened last week. Well, they said, 
well, at least I'm not crazy. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I uh, and I was at the University of Alberta among uh, um, among um, you know people that are very politically correct. And if they're not willing to even consider that, then uh, what hope? But uh, I think that eventually mental illness will be recognized, maybe not this generation, maybe next generation, a generation after, just like with my great-grandmother, there was many negative attitudes that we don't hold today, and eventually, hopefully, with the better treatments and better physical understanding and psychological understanding, and about development of children and how to prevent childhood trauma, that might, there are some theories that childhood trauma might be a trigger for schizophrenia. It's not widely accepted. Um, better prenatal care might reduce the rates of, of mental illness. Uh, you know, better training for teachers uh, to recognize early signs of mental illness. There, it's surprising that teachers really are the front line for children's mental health, and yet they don't really have aside from some courses in educational psychology, don't really have that abnormal psych or, or recognizing details. They, they get some, usually at the master's level. But uh, I see the time is 7.30 or 7.35. Are there any questions before we go to uh, break? Well, why don't we grab a coffee? Or grab a coffee? Juice, and then we'll come back and then we'll have a conversation. Yeah. And uh, there's some books to sell, uh, some biographies by me, my wife, and Mormon politicians and Scandinavians, various strange books I've written. So if you want to take a look at them and buy them. And there's also a, uh, a scholarship form. I set up the first world's first schizophrenia scholarship at the University of Alberta this Christmas. And uh, there's a subscription form to that at the University of Alberta. Okay, thank you. So, as I said, uh, we'll reconvene in five minutes, 22, will we?